0: Good morning, good morning, 1045. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. It would help if I... Or turned it on. That There it is. You hear me? There we go. Uh, where's all my Reese's people at? Yes, praise God. I knew there were some godly people in this place. It's so good to see you guys. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Journey, and it's my privilege to be the pastor here at Discover Church. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us, We are in week four of a teaching series called Man Up, where we are learning what it looks like to be a godly man. And here is why. Because we believe that God created every boy to be a man, but many men never become, many boys never become the man God intended for them to be. And so that's why we're diving into this content. And ladies, I want to encourage you, don't lean out, don't ignore it, don't walk in and go, oh, it's for the guys, there's nothing for me. There's been something for everybody in every message, and of all the messages we've done, this is probably the one that is uh, universally applied, at least the one so far. So uh, don't don't, don't tune out, there's going to be something for you as well. Also, I want to let you know, next Sunday, every once in a while, I told you this last Sunday, every once in a while we do a Sunday where it's like if I was ever going to invite somebody to come to church, it would be that Sunday. Next Sunday is that Sunday. So if you know anybody that is close to you but far from God, man or woman, encourage them to come because next week I'm gonna be laying out the, the Jesus in, in a way that I've never done before. Um, and I'm gonna try to make it as clear as possible so that everybody can know, especially the men, but everybody can know, if you want to live a life that God can bless, what does that look like? And so we're gonna be diving into that next week. I've titled the message today, Let's Be Honest. And I'm going to start today by being really honest. Ladies, can I tell you uh, something that, uh, a little inside secret about men? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm offering to open the curtain, ladies, so that you can know what's going on, right? Like, I'm, I'm offering to show you, like, this is what's going on in men's head. Fellas, you're going to have to forgive me for this. You have to forgive me for this. But here's the deal. Men do not like to feel weak. And no men said amen because they don't want the women to know that. We don't like we don't like for people to know uh, that that there's an area of our life where we feel weak. We don't like to feel weak. We hate situations and places we feel weak. There's a reason why no boy and no man has ever looked at himself in the mirror and flexed and thought, oh yeah, look at how weak I am. It's never happened. My sons have never come up to me and rolled up their sleeve and flexed and said, daddy, feel my muscle. And then I squeeze their muscle and go, yeah, you feel that? There's no muscle in there. That's never happened. It's never happened. Men, we like to feel weak most of the time when when we are confident, when we are strong, when we are in an area where we feel good about our ability, most of the time we lean into that. We, we, We show up ready with some enthusiasm to know that we are going to handle business. Am I right, men? Dear Lord, baby Jesus, there that was a weak response and they're killing my illustration. God, would you help me to preach this message because the men aren't doing it. <laughs> Fellas, do we like it when we feel strong? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Here's the question that I'm asking today. What happens when we are in situations when we don't feel confident or strong in our abilities? Let's be honest, we all have, man or woman, areas where we feel strong and confident and capable, and we all have areas, men or women, where we don't. What happens when we're in a situation where we are required, it, 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 it requires, it's needed of us to show up in an area where we feel weak? I'm gonna share a really honest story from my life from two weeks ago. Here's something I've learned about being a pastor. God often uses me as a guinea pig for you. And God knows that there are often times where the preacher man's gonna preach a message and God wants to make real sure that I have had the chance to understand the message before I preach it. Today is one of those messages. I'm gonna share a story with you about something that happened in my house two weeks ago when Jessica very lovingly and delicately began to ask me about some unfinished home projects. Some of these unfinished projects are unfinished because they have been unstarted. And Jessica began to ask some questions about it, very lovingly, very delicately. And I, and I started to have that feeling where my heart started to, and my ears started to burn a little bit. And fellas, I have to tell you, you've been proud of me because I executed the ninja move that almost every husband has learned. I'm not gonna get emotional. I am going to respond with level-headed cool with just enough concern that she feels like I care. but not with so much enthusiasm that I ever actually make a commitment. <laughs> Bellas, you know what I'm talking about. So I responded in that way, and she was n- not letting me off the hook. And so that led into what probably could best be described as a spirited conversation And it became really clear to me that she was not going to let it go. And so I threw a haymaker. I, not, not, calm down. (laughs) A verbal haymaker. And I hit below the belt. And I said, woman. (laughs) Now you have to understand, woman is a term of endearment in my house. Nobody believes me when I say that. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a place and I didn't know where Jessica was, and be like, woman, where are you at? And she goes, I'm over here. Like, I've had, there's actually been times where people have come up to her and said, sweetheart, you do not have to stay in this relationship. You do not have to do that. It, it's okay, do you need me to call somebody? To which Jessica goes, I like being his woman. I'm like, that's my woman right there. I said, woman, You are not a nagging wife. But in this one area, you are nagging me. And I know that my woman knows enough about the Bible to know that the Bible says to the men it is better to dwell on the corner of a leaky roof than to dwell in the house with a nagging wife. It was below the belt. Now, I have to tell you, I I am blessed beyond measure because my wife does not nag me, she really doesn't. Except sometimes I feel nagged in this area, but she doesn't really nag me. And I began to realize like, man, the emotion and the anger that I have about this conversation is very disproportionate to the reality. And I did something that I wish I could say as your pastor, I always do. However, I am going to be honest. I mean, the name of the title of the message is Let's Be Honest. I'm going to be honest. I do not always, and dare I say, often do this, but I walked away and I stood on it. And as I stood on it, I thought, you know what? I should probably pray about this. And so I began to pray. I said, God, why am I so upset about her bringing up stupid house stuff? Which, by the way, if you are ever find yourself in a situation where you're thinking, "God, I just don't ever hear from you anymore. God, why don't you speak to me anymore?" Listen, can I just tell you? Find yourself in a situation where you know that you are more upset than the situation demands, and start praying. And wham! It is amazing how fast God answers. And God began to teach me and show me something about myself that I don't really like. I'm not super proud of. Here's the deal: I hate to lose. Growing up, I played I played all the sports. Um, I loved it. Sports were my first love, my first passion, um, and I and I, I love playing sports. And the age old question, when it comes to athletes and coaches, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? My answer has always been, I hate losing. I hate the way losing feels. I hate the way losing tastes in my mouth. And so if I do something and I lose, then I have been known to work on it behind the scenes where nobody knew about it so that I could be better so that the next time I showed up to do that thing, I don't lose. And once it becomes clear that despite the extra effort, I keep losing, you know what I do? I quit. I hang up my jersey and I retire from whatever that thing is. I am not a handyman, oftentimes embarrassingly so. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with friends of mine as we talked about house stuff, and I just kind of went, uh-huh, yep. I know, right? (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing. I feel like there are certain things that a man ought to know and basic things about handy things are part of that. But here's the deal for me. When I look at the track record of my life of fixing things, building things, making things, I don't see a lot of wins on the scoreboard. In fact, I see an overwhelming amount of losses. In fact, if I were to take you to my house right now, it would not take you long to identify the things that Jern tried to do. And let's be honest kind of embarrassing to me. I feel like when it comes to home projects, fixing stuff, making something, all I see in the rear view of all the things that I have spent a frustratingly exorbitant amount of time and money on, is just one loss after another. And when I see those losses, what I see are failures. And failure feels like weakness. And I don't like to feel weak. So when Jessica started bringing this up, she started, without knowing it, touching on an insecurity that I have. And because of that insecurity, I got upset and I got frustrated. And then as I was working through it and as I was praying about it, I began to think about you. And I began to wonder, how many men have an area of their life that's like this. Maybe you're like me and it's home stuff and you just don't feel like you're good at it. If you are, then you're probably like me. Like if I can't hire it out, it's just not gonna happen. But maybe for you, maybe you're freaking Bob the Builder, I don't know, maybe for you it's not, you you feel super confident when you've got a wrench and a hammer in your hand and I don't know what what you build with a wrench and a hammer, but you have them in your hand and you use them at the same time obviously. Duh. I mean, if you've never used a hammer on a wrench, have you really ever DIY'd? (laughs) It's embarrassing how many times I've used a hammer on my wrench on my car. (laughs) There's a whole other issue. But maybe for you, it's it's not home projects. Maybe for you, it's about how to love and care for your wife. Or maybe for you, it's about how to be a good and godly dad. Maybe for you, it's something in your career, something your boss or one of your teammates keeps expecting out of you, and you just know, I don't know how to do that. Maybe for you, it's trying to grow and and, and develop in your relationship with Jesus and you feel like I've opened my Bible and I've tried to read it, and I don't understand what that's saying. I tried to pray and I fell asleep and then I felt bad about falling asleep and I felt like God kind of held that against me and so I had to make up for it the next day with even more prayer, but then I fell asleep again and it just feels like I can never get ahead on the not falling asleep while I'm praying thing. What is it for you? We all have some area of our life that we ignore Because when you see that area of your life, you see doubts, you see insecurities, you see failure, and you feel weak. Men, I know we don't like talking about this, but we need to talk about it, and I feel compelled to talk about it today, and I'll tell you why. Because every single thing that you have, every situation that you were in, has been orchestrated by God so that you can show up as a godly man and make a difference. Let say that again because this is the message. Every single thing you have, every single situation that you find yourself in, God has allowed it and orchestrated it so that you can show up as a godly man and make a difference. You go, well, I don't even know where I am and believe in God. I don't know where, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where I am with that. Can I tell you? Like that's okay that, that you don't know where you stand with God, but God knows exactly where he stands with you. And God wants for you something that you may not even know that you want or need yourself. And that if you are a man here today, God wants for you to understand and to experience the joy of of living and being a godly man. The same is true for the ladies about being a godly woman. And here's what's wild. You know what? There are so many things that we find ourselves in where we feel like failures, we feel insecure, we've got doubts. And so many of those things are things that we actually hoped for and longed for and prayed for at some season of our life. I don't know anybody that owns a home that at one point didn't say, man, I'd love to own a home someday. I don't know anybody that's married that at some point didn't think, man, I would love to be married someday. I don't know anybody that's got, that's got kids that's thinking, man, I, I hope to have kids someday. I don't know anybody that's got a job that thought, man, I, I, I hope I have a job someday. So many of the things that touch on our insecurities, men, are things that at some point in our life we hope for, we long for. Some of us might have even prayed for them. And now that we have it, we don't know what to do with it. And so we end up turning tail, ignoring it, and running away. And when we do that, the people that we care about feel the void. They feel our absence. Jessica wasn't nagging me about trying to get, you know, home stuff done. I mean, that, that was the byproduct of it, but at the root of it, she wants our home to be a, a warm, safe environment for us and for our kids. She wants a place for herself where she she can turn her mind off and be at rest because when she comes home and she sees this is broken and that needs fixed and this needs to be dealt with, she can't rest. And so for her, she's advocating for her own ability to rest, for our family's ability to rest. And not only that, our desire is that our home would not just be a place that we live, but it could be a place of blessing to others when we host people to our home, when we break bread with them, when we pray with them, when we cry with them, when we host a small group. Like we want our home to be a place of refuge and it's difficult to feel like it's a place of refuge when the walls are falling apart. And we literally have an interior wall that's falling apart. And I don't know what to do about it, so I just kind of like, well, you know. Man, it's time for us that we stop running away from the things that we're not good at and that we man up to be the God created us to be in those situations. To help us understand how to do this, I wanna take us to Exodus chapter three. We're gonna be in Exodus chapter three and we're gonna be a fly on the wall as we watch and listen to God and Moses have a conversation. Let me provide a little context. Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years and they have prayed and they have cried out to God, God, would would you get us out of this place? Would you deliver us? And God is now about to answer their prayers by sending Moses. Moses was a Hebrew child born a slave in Egypt, and through some, an incredible story of, of maneuvering by his mom, he is able to escape being killed as a child, and he ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house because Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in a basket in a creek. And so Moses spends the first 40 years of his life raised like royalty. He is the son of the princess. He gets royal benefits. He gets royal education. He gets royal treatment everywhere he goes. And after 40 years, Moses makes a mistake. He kills somebody. And after he kills somebody, he runs away for fear that he's going to be captured and tried for murder. And now God has showed up to Moses. Moses now has spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd's in the back. I grew up in Arkansas in the back 40, in the sticks, in the country. Moses has been a shepherd now for 40 years in the country. And while Moses is doing his job as a shepherd, God shows up in a burning bush and he starts talking to Moses. God begins to tell Moses, "Moses, I have something incredibly special that I have created you for, and the time is now that we do it." And Moses has some problems as he's working through this. Men, as we engage through this narrative, I want you to imagine, I don't know what your hang-ups are. I don't know what your insecurity is. I don't know what the thing is that causes you to doubt or causes you to feel weak, but I want you to have that in your mind as we read this engagement between Moses and God and allow the word of God to minister to you today. Here's the first thing that Moses doubts. Moses Doubts himself. Moses doubts himself. God said, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. But Moses says in Exodus 3.11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, he's saying, you're choosing me? Uh, I think you got the wrong guy. God immediately responds to this. And he says, Moses, listen, man, stop focusing on you. Trust in me. Why don't you trust in me? Exodus 3.12 says, So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be assigned to you that I have sent you, who uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You know what God is saying? and say, Moses, listen, don't trip, bro. I got you. I called you. I gave this assignment to you. I created you for this, and I'm going to be with you. And you're gonna know that I have been with you because when it's all said and done with you, are gonna bring my people to this mountain and we are going to fellowship together. Moses goes, well, that didn't work. Let me shift to the next thing. Moses then doubts God himself. I mean, if I can't doubt myself, then I'll doubt God. He says this in verse 13, "'Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel "'and say to them, "'The God of your fathers has sent me to you, "'and they say to me, "'Oh, really? "'What his name is? "'What shall I say to them?' I changed that a little bit. (laughs) Moses said, listen, here's, I mean, God, I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in Egypt or not, but them Egyptians, they worship all kinds of gods. So when I show up, how are they gonna know, like, it's really you?' (laughs) And then when I go to the Jews, like, how are they going to know that I, I, you know, I'm not just some crazy dude just trying to lead a revolt because they all know if they lead a revolt and fail, they're going to die. God answers. And God tells Moses, Moses, dude, trust in my record. Trust in what I've done. He says, uh, and God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So what God is doing is that, listen, when you get there and you talk to the Egyptians, tell them I am who I am has sent you. And that will let them know that I am the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods. So they can worship all the gods they want to, but I am I am the alpha God. And then when you get to the Jews, just tell them that I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. You see, all the Israelites and the Jews are very aware of their heritage. They know that their lineage goes all the way back to Father Abraham and that God once made a promise to Abraham that if Abraham would trust him, that God would make him a father of many nations. Fast forward hundreds of years, now we have two million plus people that belong into the Jewish lineage and the Jewish heritage. And so what God is saying is, Moses, listen, when you get there, tell them that the God of Father Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, who then had 12 sons, who moved here from Egypt or from Israel to Egypt 400 plus years ago when there was a famine in the land, right? Like, tell them I'm that God that sent me. Moses goes, huh, okay. Well, I don't think that's a very good strategy, Moses doubts God's strategy. So verse chapter four, verse one, the Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Who do you think you are? Speaking on behalf of God. God responds to this and he says, Moses, listen, man, you just got to trust my power. You got to trust what I can do. You got to trust what I'm capable of. Moses has a hard time with this. And so God says, hey, Moses, what you got in your hand?" And he goes, well, this, this is my shepherd staff. God goes, all right, Moses, throw that thing on the ground. Moses throws his staff on the ground, turns into a snake. That's a staff that's about to be burned if it's my staff. But, but God says, that's cool, huh? Moses is like, sure. God goes, all right, now pick it up. At which point I would have said, mm-mm, No, I ain't gonna do it. Dear Lord, now that I've said that out loud, please do not put me in a situation where I have to pick up a snake as a sign of my obedience to you. Moses picks the the snake up and it turns back into a staff. Kind of trippy. God goes, hey, Moses, you thought that was cool. Check this out. Take your hand, put it in your jacket. Moses puts his hand in his jacket. Now take your hand out of your jacket. Moses goes, Simon didn't say. God says, I said. And so Moses pulls his hands out of his jacket and looks at his hand, and now his hand has leprosy. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you and me today because, you know, leprosy is like, you know, not a thing so much anymore. But imagine being two years ago and someone shows up and goes, hi, I've got COVID. Everybody would have freaked out. Except in this situation, leprosy was almost always a death sentence and it was highly contagious, and people who had leprosy were condemned from their neighborhoods, they were condemned from their homes, they were condemned from their families, and they went to live in these leper colonies where they would literally be away from everybody so that the wind couldn't carry the leprosy over and other people get sick, and they would literally drop food over the side of the cliff and, and resource over the side of the cliff so the leper colony could have stuff to eat while they were dying. Moses looks at his hand and goes, oh, snap, and God goes, Yeah, now watch this. Take your hand, put it back in your jacket. And God's like, I ain't going to do that. I don't think you understand how leprosy works. I I don't like having my leprosy on my hand. If I put my hand with leprosy in my jacket, then I'm going to have leprosy on this stuff up in here, and I don't want leprosy on this stuff up in here. And God goes, shut up and do it. So God said, Moses goes, okay, put my hand in my jacket. Now take your hand out of your jacket. And Moses looked at his hand again, and now he doesn't have any more leprosy. Moses is like, "Whoa." And then God says this, hey, Moses, here's the deal. I'm gonna do even greater signs than these through you so that the Egyptians and my people will know that I am the Lord. And at some point, you begin to think that Moses would start to like realize, like this is a wrestling match, and Moses, you're not gonna win. You're just not. You're not gonna be able to get out of this chokehold. So tap, bro. But Moses doesn't tap. Moses keeps going, and in some way, you have to you know, appreciate his tenacity. Because next, Moses doubts his own ability. Exodus four, verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before you nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now listen, I grew up in Arkansas for over half my life. I have never felt more seen or more understood by one single verse in the Bible than Exodus chapter four and verse 10. Because what I learned when I left Arkansas and I moved to California and I said, how y'all doing? I'm Jernigan, what, what, you, what, what your name is. <laughs> you see, what Moses is saying is, is I, Lord, I, I done grew up in the country, and they're going to know I'm a redneck, and they're going to immediately deduct IQ points from me as soon as I open my mouth and start talking. They ain't going to believe I, tr- I talk to you. God looks at Moses and says, Moses, listen, man, you, would you trust in my help? Do you trust that I can help you? He says, so the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. You know what God is saying? He said, hey Moses, listen. Listen, I am more aware of the stuff you ain't than the stuff that you are. And I need you to understand that, that this isn't something, some wild goose chase that you decided to go on. This is something that I showed up into your orbit and said, Moses, I want you to go here and do this. Moses, what you need to understand is that before I ever even created you and made you with an, a lack of ability to be able to speak real good, I looked across time and I looked across space and I across my kingdom and I knew that someday I'm gonna need somebody to do this specific thing for me, and to impact and bless other people. And then, Moses, I made you. And all of the things that have happened up until this point has served to prepare the way so that when I have a conversation with you, you can understand that I'm not concerned about what you don't have. I created you with those weaknesses, I created you with those insecurities, so that when you show up to do the thing that I called you to do, nobody's gonna go, oh, that makes sense, he's awesome. No, 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 Moses, I aligned all of this up so that when you show up, people go, whoa, ain't no way that could happen. God must be at work there. Can I just tell somebody today that you are wrestling with something that God is calling you to do and you are thinking, I can't do that. Here are all the reasons why I can't. I can't, I can't step in to, to, read my Bible and understand how to follow Jesus. I can't lead my family. I can't love my husband. But you, I mean, have you lived with my husband? I don't know anybody can love him. I don't know how to train my kids to know and love Jesus. I don't know how to do this thing that God has put before in my career. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And can I tell you, here's what God wants you to know, that God understands that we don't like to feel weak, but it is when we are weak that God's strength can be made perfect and manifest and on display to the whole world so that the world can go, man, God is moving through them. That's what God is saying to Moses here. Finally, Moses realizes he's not gonna win. And Moses does something that I recognize so well. And maybe you will as well. Moses doubts God's purpose for his life. Exodus 4.13, Moses says, oh my Lord, please, Send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Do you know what Moses is doing here? He's quitting. God, I can't do it. It's not just that you've got the wrong guy. I don't have the right stuff. I'm just gonna fail. Now up to this point, God has been remarkably gracious and patient with Moses. Which is something that you and I need to understand that God is not, God's not mad at us when we are wrestling through something that we're being led to do. Can I tell you, it's not sin to struggle with something. God has been gracious and patient. He has showed up. He has has responded to Moses' doubts by helping Moses see like, listen, man, all of your doubts, there's something about me that you can trust. But when Moses quits, how does God respond? Before I answer that, I wanna ask you the question, have you ever been in a situation where you quit? or at least wanted to quit. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe, maybe you have done what Moses did here and you, and you turn away and you try to not look at it in hopes that someone else will take care of it? How does God respond? Verse 14 says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You see, now God is beginning to reach the limit of his patience. And he's not reaching the limit of his patience just because Moses is asking questions. He's reaching the limit of his patience because Moses is limiting what God has always wanted to do for Moses. You see, there are times in our lives where at at the end of our struggle, we still say no, and God gets frustrated with us because we refuse to walk into what God has prepared for us ahead of time. And when we refuse to walk into what God has prepared for us ahead of time, then we miss out on experiencing the goodness of God in a new way, the power of God in a new way, the provision of God in a new way. And all we're left with is the old memories of that stuff that God used to do way back in the day because we stopped having the faith to believe that God can help me as I step into something new. God can show up with something new to lead me through it. And so God loses his patience with Moses and I believe it reveals something really interesting and it's that God doesn't like quitters. But what we're about to see is that even though God doesn't like quitters, even when we quit on him, God doesn't quit on us. Notice what God says next because God now tells Moses, Moses, I want you to trust in my provision. If you're not gonna trust in any of the rest of it, trust in my provision. Trust that that I will accomplish everything that I have set to accomplish. And so God says this, verse 14, and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's smart, or look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself be as a mouth for you, and you should be to him as a mouth. God, you see, God wanted Moses to be the one to experience the great and awesome power and provision as as God was going to perform these incredible miracles. But because Moses kept doubting and doubting and doubting, God said, listen, I'm still gonna do it. I'm gonna bring someone else along. And God's frustration with Moses is that God wanted Moses to realize that God could use him to do something awesome. Instead of always defaulting to God, you're gonna have to use them. Which ultimately begs the question, why was Moses so persistent in his reluctance to follow God to do this incredible thing? Why? Because Moses had tried before and he failed. You see, what we don't actually learn until all the way from Exodus to the book of Acts chapter seven is that 40 years ago, the man that Moses killed was an Egyptian guard. And Moses killed that Egyptian guard because the Egyptian guard was abusing one of the Jewish slaves. And Acts chapter seven reveals to us that Moses knew at that time that God had called him to lead Israel out of captivity. And so Moses tried, he thought he saw his moment, but he did not do it God's way, he did it his way. So he rises up, he kills the Egyptian servant, he buries him in the sand. The next day he goes and talks to some of the other Jewish people. And the Jews do not trust him The Jews are afraid of him. And they actually say, what are you gonna do, Moses? Are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian guard? You see, Moses thought that that nobody knew that he did that. And once other people knew what he had done, he began to realize I made a mistake and I failed. So when God shows up 40 years later to talk to to Moses and to interrupt his regular rhythm, What God is doing is God is trying to send Moses back to Egypt, but for Moses, what he hears is that God is trying to send me back to my place of failure, and failure feels like weakness, and let's be honest, we don't like to feel weak. Here's the takeaway from the message today. God has shown up into Moses' life and I believe perhaps there's been some things that God has been trying to show up into your life about. And God has made it clear, I want you to do this, Moses. I don't know what God has made clear that he wants you to do. Maybe it's to start something or stop something. Maybe it's something he wants you to do. And God has made it clear to Moses, Moses, I want you to do this. And Moses keeps coming with one reason, one excuse after another, why he's not the guy, why he can't. And every single time Moses comes up with an excuse about why he's not the guy God is gracious and God is patient to say, Moses, listen, it's not about whether or not you are the guy and whether you have what it takes. I just need you to be available to trust me because I have what it takes. This is a message for somebody in this place today or somebody that's watching online that that God, whatever it is that God is leading you to do, a habit he's calling you to break, a, a new way to love and care for the people in your family, a new way to serve your neighbors, a new way to, to, to try to invest in your relationship with God through spending time reading your Bible in prayer that God is wanting you to know, listen, I've got what it takes. I just need you to show up and be willing. Moses refused to trust that God could do what he said he would do. Moses struggled to get to the point of resting in the knowledge that this is God leading the way, not me. Which which causes us to be really careful when we begin to try to try to chase our own things and do our own things. That what happens when we begin to do our own things and we haven't first bathed them in prayer and said, God, what do you want for my life? Where do you want me to go in this situation? God, what was what would be the decision in this relationship? In my career? In the purchase of this thing? What could I do that would be the most glorifying to you? And when we do don't do that, then we end up making decisions apart from God. And when we make decisions apart from God and things don't go well, then we go to God and say, God, would you help me? I need your help. And what God is trying to say, listen, I need you to trust me. I need you to follow me because when you trust and follow me, you can never fail. Because when it's my plan, when it's my will, when it's my thing that I want to accomplish, I always accomplish what I set out to accomplish. So, if God has chosen Moses for this, and if God is trying to help Moses understand that he should be prepared to see God do awesome things despite his insecurities, then I believe that God wants us to know today that God wants you to do what the thing is that he's leading you to do, and that God will show up despite your insecurities, and he will flex in your situation so that where you feel weak, you can experience his strength. So men, let me ask a question. Where do you feel like a failure? What is the area or the place in your life where you feel like I don't have it? And because you feel like you don't have it, you try to run away from it. You hope that somebody else takes care of it. Can I tell you, that's what I do with my house. I don't have it. And I can't just go buy it. I'm not going to do this well. And it is going to be an embarrassment for me. And I'm going to be frustrated. And I want to look strong and capable to my wife, to my family. I want to be able to show off my handiwork to my friends when they come over. Why? Because men like to feel strong. We hate to feel weak. What is the thing for you? where you just keep turning away. Nah, I don't like that, makes me feel weak. Nah, I don't like that, I can't do it. Ah, I don't have what it takes. Let me ask it in a more direct way, men, because I know how we like to be direct with one another. What are the areas where your insecurities and your doubts rise up that cause you to feel like a failure, that make you feel weak? It's in those things I believe God would have us do three things. Number one, we've gotta be honest about our doubts. God never chastises Moses for being honest about his doubts. It's okay for you to say, I don't know how to do that. I'm not any good at it. Here's the second thing God wants to do. God wants us to trust in him. We need to trust God. It might sound silly. That I need to trust God with my house. But you know what, God has has orchestrated the events for us to have that house. And whether, whether we're talking about a house, whether we're talking about a relationship, whether we're talking about a marriage, whether we're talking about singleness, whether we're talking about being a parent, whether we're talking about a child, whether we're talking about a career, whether we're talking about our relationship with Jesus, God has orchestrated things so that you can have that. And at some point, We need to spend more time listening to the faithful voice of God that says, I've got this, and I've got you. And spend less time hearing to the voices inside of our head that says, no you don't. Here's the third thing that we need to do, and this is probably the most uncomfortable thing for men. It's a four letter word that does not fit in our normal vocabulary of four letter words. We need to ask for help. Can I tell you something? God has designed his church to be this beautiful family of people. God talks about, he uses the analogy of a body, how there's many different parts of the body and everything plays a part. And we we think about that in the context of church and preachers like me like to use it. we talk about serving, we're trying to recruit more volunteers to serve, which. The answer is yes, we always would love to have more volunteer serving. But can I tell you, the church is so much more than just the Sunday morning gathering. That God never intended for you, man or woman, let me just talk to everybody now, God never intended for you to be the one that's got it all together. And we all feel a little insecure when we get around that one person or we see that one person's social media post, and we think, man, they've just got it all together. I feel so much less than when I see their stuff or when I'm around them. Can I just tell you something? Nobody's got it all together. Some people are just really good at, better at hiding their insecurities than others. And there are people in this church that are good at things that you suck at. I had to kind of swallow my pride. to See, because here's the deal, pride shows up in a lot of interesting ways for me. Pride showed up by, well, I don't wanna be a burden to somebody. I mean, they, he's got his own family, and I'm sure he's got his own house projects and got his own stuff he's trying to figure out. I don't want to be a burden. I mean, he probably needs to spend time with his family, da da. And all those things are true. But you know what? I found that people really love helping people when it's something that they're really, really good at. So I started making some phone calls and having some conversations. We had our small group over at our house uh, every Wednesday night and uh, uh, one of the chief thorns in my flesh is our fireplace. Our fireplace is one of those gas electric things. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And like the the pilot light is lit, you know, and then you flip the switch and goes, and the flames come up, well they wouldn't, no flames. And a year ago, before last winter, Jessica said, can you try to fix that? I go, sure. So I YouTubed it, and then I didn't fix it, and I go, yeah, doesn't work, don't know. Guess we need a new one. The Fireplace was the tip of the spear of the conversation from two weeks ago. And she said, have you asked anybody? Inside my head, I said, woman, you shut your dirty mouth. We don't talk like that in this house. Have my kids speaking, talking like that. What kind of house is this? This is the house of the Lord. Zach Bear was over at our house and I said, hey, I just kind of brought it up kind of intentionally. I, I tried to do it with a way without actually asking for help. Oh yeah, a fireplace, you know, it's not really working. Zach Bear goes, what's the matter with it? I said well you know (laughs) probably need a new one two minutes later the fireplace was working (laughs) I hate Zach Bear I love Zach Bear and a number of other things that we're trying to work through had another friend come over Uh, Jacob Dupin came over to my house and like I actually had like a list of things to ask him and it was like, hey, before you leave, can we, and he just started laughing. He gets ready to leave, he goes, you got anything else? We've got to humble our pride. Because there are people who are really good at the things that you suck at. And when somebody's really good at something, it's not a burden for them to help you out. Let me ask you the question. What do you need help with? Is there an addiction or a bad habit you're trying to break? Do you need help with trying to figure out how to love your spouse? Do you need help trying to figure out how to, how to love and parent and raise your kids in this season? Do you need help with a career decision? This is really uncomfortable and it's really awkward. Like, do you need help figuring out how to build a budget and to get a handle on your finances? Can I tell you something? The best place to go to find help is to go to a small group. So you'll see people on a Sunday morning, but you won't find the people that you need until you get into a small group. And we come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses about I'm too busy for this and too busy for that and too busy for this while at the same time simultaneously feeling the pain and the pressure that you suck at something and it's affecting people around you and instead of getting off your butt and going to do something about it by getting connected into a small group where you can find some people who are good at what you suck at, we keep using excuses as to why we can't do it. I don't care that we've only got a few weeks left in small groups. Somebody needs to go today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when I get around to it. Somebody needs to go today and you need to pick up a phone, you need to call somebody, text somebody, you need to send somebody a message on Facebook, you need to go to the website and sign up for a small group, and you need to use the words, I am trying to figure out, fill in the blank, and I need help. Can you help me? And can I just also say, if you're here today and you feel like your relationship with Jesus has been a failure because you don't know how to read your Bible, you don't know how to pray, like, can I tell you, like, there is a, there's a QR code and a website on your handout. I want you to scan that. I want you to go to the website. We have spent the last six months building something specifically to help you. We have trained dozens of people to help you not suck anymore at following Jesus. We will help you. And somebody today, I had to have a conversation with somebody after the first service. I said, listen, man, how much longer are you gonna wait until you, sign, until you sign up? Oh, I need to do that. I need to do that this week. I said, no, 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 you don't need to do it this week. You need to do it today. Let us help you figure out how to follow Jesus. Here's my last point, and we're done. Pretending that stuff doesn't exist will never cause it to go away. It'll still be there. That's the amazing thing about things that are never finished or addressed. They don't go away. And they will constantly be there until, until you man up, until you get honest with your doubts, until you trust God, until you swallow your pride, and until you ask for help. Whether you're a man or a woman in this place, there is nothing that you are struggling with that God does not want to help you with. You've just got to realize that help will oftentimes come in the form of another person and will oftentimes not show up until you open your mouth and ask. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816 816- 816 203 again that's the word faith to 816 203 1835 if this is your first time listening we'd love to connect reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the discover church podcast thanks for listening